0: Dwells here. And then we're moving by the pack, so we moving them. And even if you don't, then you do cause you cool with them, They be like I only went to
1: school with with
2: 'em. Welcome to Color Correction, a GSC podcast about race and faith from the perspective of a black girl, an Asian guy, and a white guy too. I'm Andrew, I use he him pronouns, I'm Asian American.
1: And my name is Bethany, I am a black woman, and I use she, her pronouns.
3: And I'm Chris, I'm a white man, I use he, him pronouns.
2: So we like to start off our podcast by talking about things that we wish we had mentioned or things we want to just react to from previous episodes.
1: Yeah, and my correction is that I have no corrections because I couldn't even listen to the last episode. I felt like I was so vulnerable Mm. on that episode that like yeah, I couldn't listen to myself be that vulnerable again. I just wasn't in a place for it, and it seems like me and Chris uh, had a similar experience.
3: Yeah, yeah, um, I didn't want to listen to the last episode either for the same for the same reason. But um, I I wanted to add to that because um, I that episode was about. Um, you know, relationships. And, and there were a few people that I mentioned that I've gone back and talked to about the reasons they left circle of hope. And they were difficult conversations and they are ongoing. And it's just, um, yeah, I, it, I'm the, uh, I'm just going to read what I, what I wrote in our notes. Um, so these conversations really give me insight into exactly how good hearted white people, me included. I'm just going to give myself the benefit of the doubt here by refusing to acknowledge that white privilege uphold racism. Like these conversations are insane. Mm-hmm. Like the like, the, the rationale um, is anything but whiteness and race. Even though, like, it is.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: So we went. We're, into we're some... still working those
2: things out, right? Yeah. I'm curious about the outcome of those conversations. We should revisit yeah. that at some point. Um, I mean, we went to some pretty honest places in that previous episode, and I, so I understand why that it was hard for me to listen back and edit it because, like, yeah. there were moments where, like, oh, we're we're mad at Chris on the air, and I have to <laughs> relive this by uh, listening to it. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess the other thing we want to mention is our uh, Juneteenth Jubilee Wealth Redistribution Campaign.
1: We've talked about the Juneteenth Jubilee Wealth Redistribution Campaign before. Last year, we were able to raise $32,000 in our church's effort to respond to the communal need um, to repair the harm of slavery, to repair the harm of years and years of systems of systemic racism against black folks. Right. So our little community at Circle of Hope every year now, I think since we did it two years in a row, we can say every year, every year, but yeah. every year <laughs> for the past uh-huh. two years, um, we raise money to respond to the racial wealth gap um, in the country and our little community together. So this year we endeavored to raise $16,000 to open individual educational bank accounts for the black children at our church. And we did that plus a little something, something. and we're continuing to raise money. So if you're interested in donating to our campaign, especially if you're a white person who is... um, reconsidering where your wealth comes from right and the roots of that wealth please feel free to donate on venmo go to the venmo business side and donate at circle mobilizing awesome and that's it so are we ready to jump
2: in yeah let's jump right in stefan has been quite has been politely sitting here listening to us talk <laughs> uh
1: I think that's why I said, "Are we ready to jump in?" Because I was <laughs> so anxious. Thank you we for your patience. We didn't give you that heads up, Steph. No, it's Sorry all good. about that. It's all
2: good. Um, Beth, cool. So cool. So I mean, this whole this whole thing, I'm excited about this. But Beth, do you want to talk to us about about who Stefan is and introduce him?
1: Yeah, I'm super excited that Steph is on the podcast today because we've been having conversations. I feel like more conversations on Instagram than we ever did in college.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah,
1: but Steph also attended the esteemed Delaware State University. You should have been a Hornet. Um, And we went to college together. He was also in Greek life. He's an IOTA man. But I've really been having interesting conversations with Steph recently as he has moved to Philadelphia to enter into a new role as the executive director for the PA Commission on Agricultural Education Excellence. And I see all of his amazing posts of doing um, like agricultural work and even in like the community farms in Philadelphia. Um, oh. I specifically have seen you do a lot of work with Krista from um farmer john she is i'm such a fangirl of hers but i'm super excited to have you come on the podcast and talk about your experience as a black man in the field of agriculture in pennsylvania and your connections to blackness faith and i think the earth right Mm -hmm. um so before we jump into that real deep topic why don't you do a little bit of introducing yourself as well
0: Oh man. So first off, you know, Beth, thank you for having me. Um I've actually been looking forward to this um this conversation. Um just a little bit about me against Stefan Fitzpatrick. Um a lot of people don't know I'm a military kid, so I was people always ask where I'm from. I was raised in like several different locations, born in Kansas, raised in Texas, Maryland, Virginia, Delaware. Right. Um it's ironic that you know I know I went to college with Beth but I actually didn't meet her till my senior year. Mm-hmm. Uh I attended Tuskegee University um in Tuskegee, Alabama from from um 2006 to 2009 and I transferred my senior year um to Delaware State. Um but you know with those relationships there um they've clearly become longstanding because here we are still having these conversations now and slid in her DMs to talk ag, right? You know, that's not the traditional <laughs> way to interact, <laughs> interact with the woman on social media. But no, um, I've been involved in kind of these ag spaces for the last 17 years. Um, and, wow. you know, and, you know, I got involved early and I don't want to get ahead of myself because uh, I know I don't want to steal my own thunder. But um, my life's work since I've been involved in agriculture is how do I I get not only minorities because I feel like we, we use the minority word in the BIPOC so often and we don't say black. And so for me, I'm unapologetically black in these spaces and I'm in these mm-hmm. rooms. And it's like, how do you take a six four two ninety five black man with tattoos and have people not perceive him as a football player or a basketball player? Right. You know, how do you dispel those notions of when I open my mouth that they say you're so educated? Right. And it's more So um, I want you to 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 understand that I I have contributions um, that I can make in this space and they're not given to me because I represent uh, a diverse population or underrepresented group. Right. Um, and I so I think as we have this conversation, I hope that the listeners understand and they take away that um there are a lot of things that people really don't know because they don't have the access to it, right? And the access starts with podcasts like this that help create that awareness. So we'll keep it there and then we can dive in and go from there.
1: Awesome. Nice.
2: Yeah. I mean, you acknowledge that. Uh, is that you, Beth?
1: Yeah, that was my room, okay. but I don't know why she started hollering. <laughs> I, I, I think she liked what you said. That's Steph. it. The, the room
2: but was clapping. Yeah. Uh, I, I... I it's interesting that you acknowledge that agriculture is usually thought of as a white space. I'm always curious about BIPOC folks and black folks, especially that are willing to enter into these white spaces. Do you want to talk about how you got into agriculture?
0: Let me tell you, man, I've, I've been trying to figure out what, how did I get bit by this ag bug, right? Um, I'm more so first generation. I'm the first person in my family to kind of actually engage in this space. Um, To be honest, the only reason I got involved in agriculture is because I was in seventh grade and while I was in middle school, I used to see these kids in these blue corduroy jackets and they were always on a field trip. I mean like always (laughs) on a field trip and I was an outside kid like I'm a twin. So me and my twin brother were always outside. You can I was the kid that came in the house when the streetlights came on and I was I was. Let's build, the, let's build the tree houses. Let's run through the woods. Let's put you know do these things. And um, I kid you not, seventh grade, Stefan was like, I went to the ag teacher and said, what's those blue jackets? I want one. I want to go on the field trips. And, and literally um, that following year, my eighth grade year, I got a blue jacket. Um, I got involved and I got to see what ag is, right? Because it's not just farming, right? And I think um, when we when we when we talk about agriculture, the first thing as someone who's black thinks about is slavery. Right. And mm-hmm. it, they, they go strictly to farming. And that was my first introduction to you can make a career out of this. You did not have to be from a farm to be successful. Um, and from that moment, I was fortunate to go to a tech high school called Polytech High School in Woodside, Delaware. Um, and out of the 26 shop rotations in that school, I chose environmental science. Now there were no black kids going in this shop. Um, you know those kids had camouflage and duck hunting gear on, and I came in there with a FUBU jersey and Garbo jeans, the Francis Garbo jeans with the Velcro in the pockets. And so, yeah. you know, when I walked in, you know, it was it was a culture shock, right? You know, I was a freshman in high school. It was a culture shock of that was my first indication that people that it was acknowledged. Andrew, to your point that black people don't get in this space. And my teacher at that point said, Stefan, since you've been involved in this, even as a freshman, if you stick with this, you're going to change people's lives. And I went to my first FFA convention for the Delaware State FFA Association. And at that convention, I met Karen Hutchinson, and she's been amazing. And while I didn't get to run for a state office, because I took my scholarship to Tuskegee, my senior in 06. She said, Stefan, you're going to change the world. And I hope to see you down the line years from now still doing the work that you're doing. Um, and I actually ran into Karen four years ago, um, while I was working for UMES the uh, University of Maryland Eastern Shore, and she she cried, giving me a hug, saying, You're still doing it. Right. And wow. I think, you know, from it's you took a kid, you took a kid who knew nothing about A and you gave him an opportunity to see how he can make his contributions. And then once you open a door for me, I'm going to run through it. So Mm -hmm. that's really how we got here.
1: I, as a Black kid that grew up in Delaware as well, and I also, I actually visited Polytech one time. Um, I think we had to play Polytech for a finals game and I was cheering and I distinctly remember how white. Uh, that high school was. And they played the national anthem on an electric de- guitar. And for some reason, that was super white to me. I was like, you're in danger. They're playing the national anthem right. on the electric guitar. Watch your back. Make right. sure you have the other Black cheerleader with you. But my, I'm interested in your experience with being in those white spaces at that age. Did you catch yourself trying to change and adapt? Were you... Yeah. What was that like?
0: So to be honest, like I did, I never knew code switching the word code switching didn't exist then. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so Mm -hmm. like for me, I didn't, I I think because I was exposed to it in middle school and I didn't see any people like me when I got to high school, it wasn't an issue. All the black kids at Polytech were going into business, cosmetology, nursing, criminal justice, radio, TV, some were going into the ag mechanics, a couple were going into welding, auto body, things like that. Um, And some of my friends even said, why are you going to environmental science? That's where all the white kids go, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think because, and I'm grateful for uh, my teacher at poly because we did so many different rotations within environmental science. Um, And so I think for me, I realized early, and and to to say at that age, I'd had this revelation, right? I was, what, a 14-year-old kid, 15-year-old kid in high school. I had this revelation, like, if you do this, you're going to change lives. Like, I had that notion as a freshman in high school. And so because of that, when I would go to these FFA conventions, and I'm the only Black person around, and I'm like, I know you all probably don't think I deserve here, but you're going to know my name. Mm -hmm. And I think that confidence that I had going into it gave me the confidence to deal with it at the adult level, because Mm -hmm. polytech really taught me that there there is this notion that agriculture is not for anybody but white people. Mm -hmm. And there are students that believe that. And it's not my job to teach them, but it's my job to still be the person I am and show them that I can do just what I can do the same thing you can do. And sometimes I might be able to do it better. And so I ended up leaving Polytech as, you know, one of their first black FFA president, chapter presidents. Right. And, you know, I, I took that with me, but I realized that I could I wanted to do more um, because with that scholarship I mentioned, I I got a job with U.S. Forest Service. So five days after I graduated high school, they flew me to Rhinelander, Wisconsin as a forest technician. I was a forestry major um, and I used to want to fight forest fires. So I was a forest technician and my job pretty much helped the Forest Service determine how they how much they make a year um, from timber sales. So like harvesting timber and, you know, where those products go to. And I was 18 and there were people that were with the Forest Service for 30 plus years and they were white and they were intimidated by me saying, how did he get this? Mm-hmm. Why does this kid at 18? Why is, is he trying to take my job? And I ran into people calling me the N-word. I had mobs chase me home. I had hate mail, I had threats. I had and this is 18. And Rhinelander, was just con- doing
1: foresting.
0: And forestry like in Rhinelander, Wisconsin, some of those people have never seen a black person unless they play for the Green Bay Packers. Wow. There are kids, they don't even have BET or, or those type of channels. So there are there are kids that are like mommy, what's that? They've never seen a black person in person. Mm. So for me, I There were moments of being scared, but then there were moments of, oh, I know I deserve to be here. If Mm -hmm. this is creating all of this fuss, then I'm either doing something right or I'm crazy as hell. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Chris, you uh, you were nodding. Were you nodding an
2: acknowledgement when Stefan was talking about those blue jackets? Do you know what he's talking about?
3: I I don't. I'm only nodding because Stefan, I took a minute to like read up on a little bit on you like that's that's out there before this so like i'd heard that story before or read it i just read it i was excited about hearing you talk about it uh, okay
2: <laughs> i thought, <laughs> i don't know chris is white maybe he was, was actually story. no i was like
1: i assumed the, the same thing i was like he knows ffa yeah i don't he's from colorado uh, <laughs>
0: Now, you know, that whole future farmers of America, you know, I think that farmers piece is why a lot of minorities don't get involved in it. And, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, we could talk about that later. But I think mm-hmm. um, that that is a deterrent because of how it's perpetuated and how it's acknowledged in, you know, communities and things like that. And FFA is about showing animals and the fairs and things like that. And I didn't have enough. I didn't have a farm. I didn't have animals. I didn't know anything about these things. So. Um, for me it was like, how can we continue to knock down these doors and And that's really how we got here.
2: I'm really impressed ah. not just by the, the, the not just by the fact that you remained in these places but also the sense of kind of mission and calling that you had that was really early. Do you think what was it about agriculture that made it so
0: attractive to you? like why this? um man, that's a. Uh... When we talk about our why, right, like I'm a very purpose-driven person, right? And, you know, we talk, you know, in this podcast, I love the incorporation of faith. You know, favor has has been something that's been on my side, right? There's been a lot of discernment. There's been a lot of awareness for what my God job is, right? What's my purpose? Like, what's my passion? Mm-hmm. And I think I'm one of the few that found it early, right? And I like to say, AG saved my life, right? You know, there were some life experiences that I went through, you know, split households, growing up in some of the hostile environments that I, you know, have endured, Um, you know, I could have been the typical Black minority, you know, stereotypical story, right? And, you know, Black kid, parents aren't together, back and forth, they're in the military. And it was more so like, I don't want to be that because I'm more than that. And agriculture just, it spoke to me, right? It gave me an opportunity to work with my hands and see the fruits of my labor, not just with watching things grow, but seeing the connections being made, right? Seeing the eyes opening by talking to a kid who's like, "Oh my gosh, I didn't know that that's what ag is," right? And I think because I had those experiences early, it really was just like, "Yo, if you can, you can run the gambit with this, if you stick at it, right? It's going to be hard, right? You know, whenever you're a trailblazer, when you look at, you know, I'm, you know, Bethany knows this. Anytime there's been a trailblazer that's been black trying to break stigmas. Um, they had to go through the animosity, right? They had to go through the hardship, the racism, the negative comments, the um, just the lack of awareness that I'm still a human being, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just a different color, right? And I think I wanted to get to a point where I didn't have to prove myself anymore, mm-hmm. right? And I think I said, you're going to know my name in some capacities um, in this space, um, and here we are. Yeah. Do you think? Yeah. Do you think part of
2: you was driven by some kind, but by, by a little bit of kind of contrarianness, just like,
0: just like you think I can't <laughs> do it, sure I'm going to prove you wrong. Oh, that that anything you can do, I can do better. Live uh-huh. rent free.
2: Yeah. Live I love that. I love that. <laughs> when I, I it, the way I connect to this is, uh, I really, I, I had a similar experience in middle school where I started listening to country and folk music. And I was I was playing violin at the time. So I was like, oh, there are people jamming folk music, I'll show up. And people were like, all these old white people were like, why is this Asian kid? (laughs) <laughs> playing, folk, <laughs> playing country music. That's what <laughs> happens. Yeah. And I was just like, I just like it. I didn't know that, like, at the time I could, didn't make the connection that it was weird because it was a race thing. I, I just like the music, you know? And yeah. as <laughs> I stayed in the spaces longer and I realized that, like, oh, I'm going to show up and they're going to throw all these Asian stereotypes on me. Like, they're going to think that I need cheap music, that I'm not creative, that I can't improvise. And I was like, well, <laughs> I'm going to, anything you can do, I can do better. I'm going to show you. <laughs> and that, like,
0: drove me, you know? <laughs> it's a different type of competitive nature that comes out, right? Mm-hmm. You know,
1: so and it's an interesting relationship with labor when that is kind of the motivation as well of like proving whiteness wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I know I'm competent and I can um defy these odds. And it also sucks having to live in that narrative of yes. constantly mm-hmm. trying to defy odds.
0: Yeah that's it's it's just like you're you're in a space where it's just like you can't just be it always has to be an additional caveat right there's always something more like you know negotiation yeah you know constant you know the negotiations the and then we live in a world where it's all about dei now like i am dei'd out Mm -hmm. right and it's just i say i am but i'm still doing the work right but it's just it's one of those (laughs) things where it's just like because you run into the people where you can tell the people that it's authentic, right? Okay, I get it's what you're the saying. authenticity piece. But then you yeah. have the people, and I'm I do an organizational leadership PhD, so all I focus on is culture, leadership experience, effective decision making, and you're running into a lot of spaces where it's like, oh, that's the Fitzpatrick, he's black, he's in these ag organizations. Hmm, I wonder if he can speak for everybody. I can't and that's one that's one thing i also want to make sure Ooh, that that i address my my experiences were unique right and i feel like i just so happened to to expound upon that at a at a larger scale right but there is still that challenge with getting like yeah. breaking down the biases that black people have with regards to the perception of this space um and that's still a challenge today even despite being 18 years um in this industry
1: yeah Now, I feel like I'm noticing a shift with Black folks, particularly since the pandemic. All of us were taking on these hobbies and doing different things. Oh, yeah. And I have built this community of Black women planters and kind of many farmers. I'm wondering for you, are you noticing this shift? And what are conversations like with other Black folks about ag?
0: You know, it's... I first say finally... Right. You know, I think there was a point in time where if you were black and you were in ag, you weren't cool. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I love seeing all the plant moms and the plant dads and, you know, all of my friends are starting their own little gardens and they're reaching out like, Stefan, my plant died. What do I do? Or, you know, my friends are like, hey, like, I didn't know that this was interesting or, hey, I want to make my own tea. You know, it's just like there's this there's this revolution of people realizing and then inflation. Right. They're like, People are starting to see, and I hate that it happened this way for people to realize that it's important to understand where your food comes from and where these things, you know, mm-hmm. where where your clothes, right? You know, your, your ag is, there's so many people that started clothing brands. And I'm like, do you realize that's an ag commodity? You know, I have a friend that's in Harrisburg who has a, he has a black owned coffee shop. Coffee beans are an ag commodity. And what mm-hmm. we did is we took, and I was like, you have an ag business, And because he has an ag business, he's now eligible for these ag initiatives and funding and support. And so for me, I'm like, the more the more they get involved, the more I connect you, you know, And, and through those connections, I'm in turn helping you tell someone else. I'm a very story driven, qualitative person. Like I'm the experiences piece, because I think when we talk about black people in these spaces, they have to see someone doing it to realize that they can do it. Right. And Mm -hmm. while, while you all have, while we all have our own confident factors here, I think it helps to see someone in those spaces doing well because you'd be like, I can do this. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think I'm loving the movement. I'm loving this new revolution of plant, plant mommies and plant daddies. Um, And just people understanding the sustainability and, and these, this, this appreciation for where our food comes from. It's not a color issue. Like, I, I had this mantra and I, I've i read this platform since being in this role that agriculture is a people business, right? I don't care mm. what you look like. I don't care what color you are. You cannot wake up every single day and not touch agriculture. And if I can teach you mm. the foundational elements of that to help expound your knowledge, then I'm doing my job.
1: That's incredible. I'm also wondering, for you personally, how do you connect your Blackness to agriculture. Do you feel like I feel particularly connected to the earth as a black woman? We talked about my essay. Thank you for reading it. Um, but I feel this deep connection to the earth. I wonder if you feel like a spiritual Absolutely. connection. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you want to talk more about
0: so that? I I and I talk about this actually in my my dissertation that I'm writing, is that there's a perception with the black community that agriculture is immediately equated to slavery. It's automatically equated to slavery. Anytime you talk about why you you're a farmer. Oh, no, I'm not doing that. You're not going to have me in no fields. And it's like, if you Mm -hmm. look at your ancestry um, and everyone tilled the land before there was forced labor, I mean, everyone, black people were connected to the land. Right. There were the spiritual mm-hmm. connections, the appreciation of the earth, um, even with the indigenous people. Right. They till the land. You know, what I'm saying before those methods were taken from them and things of that nature. But I think there's a, a particular appreciation to for us. It's always been about the labor. Right. And mm-hmm. I feel like our blackness has been saturated from and focused just from slavery and up. And I think for me, I recognize that my history transcends before slavery, right? And my efforts in these ag spaces trend beyond just working for someone. And I'm going to tell you what what was the icing on the cake. I recently found out that my grandmother has five acres of land in North Carolina. And growing up, you know, she's from North Virginia. Um, Growing up, my grandmother used to have this vine of tomatoes in her backyard. And... I used to go there for the summers, shoes off, running through the yard. And she'd be like, all right, it's lunch. You want lunch? There's tomatoes on the vine. And Mm -hmm. I didn't realize, and I feel like that's where my ag connect, you know, she passed January uh, for New Year's Day 2018. That's my heart. Um, In those moments of reflection after her passing, she showed me the appreciation of what growing something and the connection it has to family right? And I think Mm -hmm. with those connections, I was able to understand that despite where I come from or my upbringing, um, there's a certain appreciation for watching something manifest. Because for me, I think it was a deeper, it's deeper than just growth, right? And I think when we Mm -hmm. talk about watching something grow, I equate that to my life, right? We talk about a 14-year-old that had this mindset and this this premonition of who he was going to be. I think when you plant a seed, you envision that hey, if I plant a tomato seed, it's going to be a tomato. And sometimes as it's going through this life cycle, sometimes that tomato dies. Sometimes it gets infested with pests, right? And then it's like, do you give up on that tomato plant or do you keep going? Do you keep planting? Do you try different things? Do you try different sunlight? Do you try different amounts of water? Do you have the right soil components? Mm-hmm. And I think with that manifestation and that, and that small metaphor and allegory, I think I realized that um, we are connected to this space Um, And I I would love to get as many people involved because we're living in a world, but by 2050, we're going to have to feed almost 10 billion people on this planet.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And with knowing those stats, food security is still a number one issue in urban areas. And it's also an issue in rural areas. And a lot of people don't understand that. I work in Pennsylvania and there are people in rural areas that they can't get access to fresh food and vegetables right away. You wouldn't know that, though, because when you automatically assume rural, you assume farm, they have access, they're good to go. That's not the case. Okay. When You're looking at it from an urban perspective. When we talk about the blackness in these spaces, urban areas aren't just black. Right. It's anyone that's in an urban area is essentially in some type of food desert. And I think that connection for black people, I think they have to understand that their roots run deep with this. And I'm a spiritual person. So I, I believe that um, this is my God job. Hmm. I feel like this is what I was created to do. I was created to have these conversations, to share my experiences, and be an inspiration to others that want to get involved. I hope that answered your question. I kind of went all over the place. I get passionate about
1: it. <laughs> no, it really yeah. did. And I want to talk to you more about your spirituality, because that is something I never knew about you. You told me that you were a preacher's kid. And all. Oh, I think me, Andrew, Chris, were your parents preachers at uh, No, point? not mine. no. Okay. But the vast majority of everybody <laughs> right. here, 75%. 75% of us are preacher's kids <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> so I'm interested in hearing more about your spiritual background growing up and yeah, more of the connections to earth with that.
0: <sighs> Man. So again, split households, you know, um, you know, my dad stayed in the military after we were born, but was still a great relationship. But you know, I had when they say I had a praying grandmother, right? You know, my grandmother was big on I don't care what you did, you was going to church on Sunday, right? And I think mm-hmm. I think that 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 tradition of going to church together, coming home, having dinner, just recapping in the fellowship, I think it came from the faith, right? My my grandmother was someone who was adamant on on prayer and fellowship and And I think as I, you know, my stepfather is a reverend, um, and that's why I say that's where the PK came from. Um, Mm -hmm. And I will say, if I can be honest, my perception of the church and my faith was jaded based on my my life experiences, right? You know, you're in the church, Mm -hmm. but, you know, you're seeing all of these negative, bad things happen in the church, right? So you're trying to identify what type of relationship do you want to have? Right. You know, like I was a kid that was forced to read the Bible two hours a day. I had to attend vacation Bible school. I had to be the first one there for Sunday school. I had to be the first one there for Bible study. I had to be an usher. Mm -hmm. I had to sing on the choir. So like my my initial (laughs) engagement with the church was it was forced. But I but I also recognized the importance of laborious. You know, I recognized the importance of a higher power. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think I think that's what kept me there to develop my own personal relationship. And then that's why like Ecclesiastics three is my favorite scripture. That's my mantra. That's what I live and die by. And it's a time for every season. And, you know, that's that's the theme of that. And, you know, when they say it's a time that there's a time to live, there's a time to die. There's a time to plant. It's time to plug up what's been planted. Right. And I can go through each and every single verse of that scripture and I can apply it to my life and my life's journey through agriculture. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I could have yeah. left ag in in 2006 when that when that mob chased me home where someone threw a beer bottle mm-hmm. at my head and said, you don't deserve to be here. When I was working with this federal organization and people were like, you don't deserve to be here. I could have left. Right. I could have plucked up. Right. But I decided to plant myself. And I again, I'm an 18 year old kid having these revelations. Favor. I I realized early that God had favor and a purpose on my life. And I and I whenever I tried to run from it. He'd bring me back. Right. And and I think it was a humbling experience. And to this day, you know, my faith still drives everything. I believe favor is not fair. And God is showing an immense amount of favor on me because me coming to Pennsylvania and being in the role that I have now has opened up an an immense amount of doors that I cannot give thanks to anyone but, you know, my higher power.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What have those moments of coming, of running away from agriculture and being brought back <laughs> to it? What, what have those moments been um, like?
0: So I'll be honest. I mean, I'm a 150% extrovert. If you can't tell, I am a, I'm a hurricane. I'm a big (laughs) ball of energy. I wake up like this. I don't drink coffee. Like this is me from sunup to sundown. And it's, it's a lot. Right. But I think in those moments where I tried to run, I, I fell into depression. Right. I didn't realize that Mm. an extrovert like me had anxiety. Right. You know, and I when you try to force something that's not meant to happen, nine times, ten, it it doesn't work out because one, you're just in an uncomfortable space and you're trying to fix something that something's telling you not to do. And then it's the justifications Mm -hmm. that you're trying to make. Oh, well, you know, I did this because I think I should do it. And I say that transition was is um, a lot of people don't know this. I did two years of a master's at Dell State right after I graduated. So I was going to get a master's to teach ag education. Uh, but they canceled my program in 2012. I just finished my my research grant funding had ended and I had to find a job. So like most kids that don't find work if you're in Delaware you know this they go they go to Wilmington, they go to one of those call centers um and they get into the corporate life and they stay in it and then some of them forget why they went to college right and you know they're doing well and they're doing they're doing these things and for me like, I got into working with, you know, student loan servicers and I became a trainer. I became successful. Um, and I'm grateful for that experience because that led me to be organizational culture management. And I want to get to do this in an ag setting. How can I work with these entities mm. and organizations to kind of help manifest, to support culture and helping them understand how to engage minorities that want to get into the space? Like that experience of taking that four years off, five years off from ag, Led me back to a space that I needed to be at. Right, so through that depression mm-hmm. and anxiety, I realized that the only person, the only way I could get out of it is I had to reground myself and get back to my why. Why are you doing this, and what do you want to? What do you want your legacy to be? So mm-hmm. yeah,
2: yeah. There's that. I like the fact that you've run to these instances where institutions, including like the church, has has let you down. You know, God was alive for you in the work that you did in in agriculture and Mm -hmm. in the earth and in your connection to it and and your calling. Um, I think that's really cool. Uh, I I think it demonstrates how expansive God can be. Uh, Mm -hmm. That God doesn't just exist in these institutions that we've built, but God existed for you in you know in the growing things that you could see that was a testament to ecclesiastes chapter three for you you saw a time to live and a time to die a time to sow and a time to uproot
0: absolutely and i think in addition to that in having these conversations right you know you you hear about the prayer closet right you know that place that you just go you just sit you know i didn't have one but there would be times where i sat on the floor
1: Jeff, you churchy, listen, churchy. Listen, I ain't listen, know you was churchy like this.
0: You said prayer listen,
1: closet. We, we I ain't thought of a prayer I, closet I, in a minute. We were
0: in them church trenches, okay. Uh, vacation Bible School week. I never lost, okay. First place trophies across the board. Father
1: Abraham, listen. On so up.
0: hit
1: that Father um, Abraham. Had
0: many sons. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I I'll, I'll tell you this. I think Andrew. To your point, I think, I, I think there's a moment of where Job, I started seeing myself as Job, right? And it was just kind of like I like imagine if he did if he did curse God, right? You know, despite all these negative things that are coming his way, imagine if he gave up on God, Mm. right? He would not have received those blessings. And I think I think because I have that church so ingrained and despite some of the the negative situations that happened with with growing up in church. I think those stories still were relevant to my life. And no matter how hard I tried to run from them, they were the knowledge was still there, right? You can't I couldn't unlearn it. And I think for me it was just like, if I keep running from this calling, God's gonna take it away.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He's gonna take it away. And, you know, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Um and I think I just kind of had a vulnerable, accountable moment for myself. And I just recognized that. This is where I was. This is where I was called to be, Um, and it's more so no more running. You know, let's let's head let's head for it full force.
1: What have you experienced since embracing this calling? This God call.
0: me moving to Pennsylvania. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, let's 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 get into that. So if let's go through, I feel like it'll help if I go through my my journey in ag because I feel like a lot of people don't understand that ag can truly take you in so many different directions, right? So my trade, I have a I have a high school diploma and a technical diploma. My trade is environmental science and natural resources. My focus was landscape design. So while I was in like while I was in um, high school, I had a landscape business, and I didn't realize the magnitude of how lucrative it is until later in my adulthood. I'm like, you should have kept that business. I still have the tree, <laughs> but um, and then that led me to forestry. So I can go outside and I can name trees by their Latin name. Then I was working with the Forest Service, and I'm like, I want to fight forest fires. I'm ch- I was chainsaw certified to cut down trees. Um, So, you know, I used to have the the orange vest. If you see Big Timber on Netflix, um, that's an accurate depiction of what life is like working with the Forest Service, walking through the hardwoods, scaling timber, cutting it down. Then I was like, I want to teach. So I left, you know, I left the the government, came, went to, I started substituting. And then I was like, hmm, I'm a product of HBCUs. I want to work for an HBCU in a college of ag. So then I left teaching ended up at the University of Maryland Eastern Shores, their coordinator for the School of Agriculture. Um, and I got a chance to interact with black students that look like me from experiences and backgrounds like me. And I handled mm-hmm. the recruitment, the retention for over 36 majors in ag. And I had a chance to travel the world with these students to expose them to the different initiatives in ag. And then through that, I was like, Stefan, how can we take this a step further? I was like, I want to be a dean. I'm doing an organizational leadership, Ph.D., um, My bachelor's is in agriculture. How do we make these connections? And one of our friends from Dell State showed someone from the Department of Ag my Instagram and said, this guy's in Ag. You've been looking for somebody. He's who you need to talk to. Um, (laughs) So through my work and engagement through Manners, Minorities in Ag, Natural Resources and Related Sciences, which put, put a sticky note, that was one of the first organizations that I saw predominantly people that looked like me at a national level, Right. And so Mm. you take that and people seeing my network and then word of mouth and Bethany saying, Hey, Stefan, can you come be on this podcast? It was a similar conversation. PDA um, um, connected me to take care of my fellowship. So I did my fellowship with the department of agriculture um, and then the opportunity opened to step into this role as this executive director. And so now I'm in ag policy, right? And now I'm charged with developing a statewide ag education plan, for a, for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, I'm on a joint committee with the secretary of ag and secretary of education for this state. And you have this 30 year old black dude, mm-hmm. you know, and then imposter syndrome sets in. do you deserve to be here? Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you look at that journey, right, you took a kid in seventh grade, who all he wanted to do was go on a field trip to now he's responsible for supporting ag education at a statewide level. And he's interacting with State Department of Agricultures across the country. You couldn't have, I couldn't have predicted mm. this if I wanted to.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell us what it is that you're working on in your current role?
0: Sure. So what what essentially I do with, um, you know, my job is to kind of not only create awareness for the, you know, ag literacy, um, but to, to help the workforce. Um, you know, when we look at traditionally, if you look at the 2021 labor statistics, um, African-Americans right now are the lowest demographic that are engaged in the ag space. Mm-hmm. They are the lowest demographic Hispanic. It's I think it goes black. I think Asian-Americans are next and then Hispanics and then white makes up about 70 to 80 percent of the ag workforce on a national scale. Um, and so for my job, while it's not just focusing on minorities, it's how do I increase awareness and support for ag education at the K through twelve collegiate, if you're non-traditional, for urban, for rural, if you're a community college, are you a land grant institution? Are you a private institution? Are you public? Are you an industry? Right? You know, agriculture is not just farming, but it's You know, private, the private sector, the federal sector, the state government sector. Like, I interact with all these different stakeholders and youth development organizations. And then we bring them together and we talk, how can we help support the people of this state um, to get them exposed to ag education? And, you know, through this, um, Mm. we make these recommendations to legislators. um, And hopefully, we can get these things pushed into action and into law. Um, And so, my work. It's amazing because I see the work being done every single day. Mm -hmm. I see the value of what I do every single day. And I recognize that in Pennsylvania, um, underserved populations are not engaging in this space. And so one of my initiatives that I'm trying to um, move forward with is, you know, how do we create this more inclusive ag for all perspective? Right. And it's not just getting the underrepresented people involved, but it's how do we educate the people that didn't know? Right. Because we talk about DEI, but if you don't have those populations in your schools, you're not, it's an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, people, mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. really have people talk about DEI if they don't know how to define diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. Because some people see diversity mm-hmm. and the only thing they see is color. But we have to, you know, mm-hmm. consider disability, you know, those with disabilities veterans, um, LGBTQ, right? You know, there's all of these different things that make up diversity. um, And I kind of help drive those initiatives as well. While DEI is not the focus, it's a part of my work plan. So my job is rather robust in that I'm engaging, I'm networking, I'm attending these events. um, And it's a very hands-on, rewarding experience for sure.
1: I'm interested in hearing you talk more about what I mentioned at the beginning with this role being important for the whole country. Can you say a little sure. bit more
0: so, about that? So, and maybe this is, maybe it's a humble brag, but, um, you know, I've been fortunate to travel across the state, the, the country. Um, and like I said, my particular commission is a joint committee between a department of ag, a state department of ag and a state department of education. Right. And, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have thought to put those together. You hear about STEM, right? Everyone talks about STEM, but nobody talks about mm-hmm. the ag education piece, right? Those, you cannot do agriculture without STEM. If anything, anything that is involved mm-hmm. in STEM is utilized in agriculture in some capacities, right? Those skill sets and those different things. And so, Um, there's not, there's no other position, I believe across the country that has someone that's specifically focused on ag education, leveraging both agencies. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what I, Mm. what I try to do in my role is the department of education helps guide me on the policies and procedures. And then I help them in turn with the verbiage, right? What is the language that speaks to the ag sector? What do these ag teachers want to hear? Because what's the main thing that people want outside of the opportunities? It's the funding. But if the funding, if the rhetoric doesn't make sense to that population, they're not going to apply for it. Right? I think, you know, Bethany, you can attest to this. We talk about funding for, you know, underserved populations. If those grants aren't have specific language that tailor to us, we're not going to apply. And if you don't know that the grants or the funding exists, you're not going to know about it. Right? And so, I think mm-hmm. what I've been blessed to do, in, in September, I actually will get a chance to speak before all of the State Department of Agricultures at the um, National Association of State Department of Ags their annual meeting. Um, I will have an opportunity to speak um, in front of and you know a panel on workforce development and how these states can do these things. And I brag on Pennsylvania because we have a unique opportunity to be the model for how these other states can do it, right? I've talked to other states and they're like, we'd love yeah. what you're doing. And I just had a conversation with a state and they're like, hey, how can you help us, you know, get insight onto the work you do? And if my job is to be a connector for as long as I'm in this space, let's connect. You know, the knowledge that I have, I can't keep it mm-hmm. to myself. Because at the end of the day, the work that I'm doing benefits states. It, it benefits the nation, right? It's, it's the ag literacy and awareness to understand that, Ag education is something that needs to be appreciated by everyone. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um,
3: Stefan, what are some of the initiatives that you're excited about that are coming through your office? Oh my gosh,
0: where where do I start? Um, what are what are some of the hot ones that I'm I'm excited about? Um. I just completed my ag annual report, my ag ed annual report. And so I just this report really is it tells the story of, you know, ag education for the state. Right. And you get this from not just the student level, but a workforce perspective. You will get this from the from a teacher perspective. Right. You know, you will understand like the tenure of teachers and what their specialties are. And we break these out across the state. Um, And in addition to that, um, some of the initiatives I'm extremely looking forward to are um, the engagement with a lot of these different stakeholder ag organizations. Because I noticed that when you're trying to do a lot of the work, when you talk about engagement and equity, everyone kind of is doing their own thing, but they're doing the same work through the the work that I do. the Some initiatives, and I can't speak on too much, too much of them in depth, but I will say um, what I'm looking for is the synergy that's being built, right? You have these different sectors and these different entities that are coming to the table, and they're not only having conversations, but they have actionable strategies, and they can measure those strategies. Because I think that's that's what separates um, being proactive with the initiative and just talking right? I think there's a lot of people at the table that recognize that this work should have been done and there's no more need for talking. How can we put our words into action and how can we really yeah. make our impact? Um, and I think that's what I'm looking forward the most. Yeah.
2: That's awesome. Um, so, well, I mean, we'll continue to follow everything that you're doing, Stefan, with <laughs> definitely a, a lot of interest. Uh, yeah, for sure. Thanks for, thanks for popping on. Um, so the last thing that we like to do is talk about just whatever we're into this week. So Beth, do you want to kick us off?
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I can't think of anything that I'm into this week. I totally (laughs) forgot about this section. So I'm not really into anything. I think because my life is really busy right now and I'm having a big party on Saturday. I'm actually going to text you about that stuff. um, if you're free. Um, but I'm having a big party on Saturday. I have to lead a training on both Wednesday and Thursday. So I think my life is too busy for me to be into <laughs> anything right now. So that's my you th- answer.
2: Your answer is that your life is too busy for you to be into anything?
1: Yeah. I know you, you can at least be into your Andrew? own birthday
2: party. That's going to be exciting. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, that should I'm be fun. I'm really excited for that. I'm gonna have, <laughs> I'm gonna have a little DJ and signature cocktails. The caterer is stressing me out though, so I think that's yeah. why I'm like I'm not into anything. So I got to figure that out. But yeah, okay, I'm into my party.
3: Cool. Um, it being the summertime, um, I mean, I, like my wife has really changed like the way I think about food from this like step on from this perspective. Like she's a she's a gardener and like has clued me into, like, why you don't just buy asparagus, like, in November (laughs) from the grocery store. So, like, summer, like, has become an amazing time for me. Like, just everything delicious is happening right now. The thing I'm into is there's a particular place we get some of our produce. It's, Mm. like, this ghost um, farm stand that I'm not going to share, but if you want to know about it when, when we're not recording, I will tell you. I... I love the farm stands and I love this time of year. And I especially love this one because it's a secret.
1: Awesome.
0: Sweet. Uh, Stefan, what are you into? This week? Oh, man, I am studying. I have to get some studying done. I I, did, I take my comprehensive uh, doctoral exam September 9th. And so navigating these meetings and then preparing um, – For that has, you know, doing a doctorate um, and doing the work I do, there's never a dull day. I mean, Bethany will tell you, I I can't, I don't sit still. Um, So I'm just going to be active and (laughs) keep doing the good work uh, so that you all have something to follow. Awesome. Cool. Uh, What
2: I am into this week is uh, the Philadelphia Chinese Lantern Festival. Oh, um, Which Mm. has uh, set up in Franklin Square and is running until, I think, for another week they've got all these lanterns that were like handmade in China. And it's, uh, if you go at night, it's just gorgeous. Mm. Just this whole space filled up with these beautiful lanterns. Um, so I, uh, I think it's cool that we have that in the city and I, I recommend that to everybody who can get out there. Um, and also yes. while you're out there, support Chinatown. Awesome. Uh cool. So Support Chinatown
1: um, and don't let them build that fucking stadium for the Sixers in the middle of Center City. (laughs) (laughs) They don't even win enough.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Come back to us when you start winning.
1: Like that's crazy. Um, And then all of our (sighs) hospitals are in center city. Anyways, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. Support Chinatown. That will every every, like ten years
3: they try and do something in Chinatown.
2: Yeah. 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 And uh, Every- yeah. it's never ending. And
1: everybody loses their mind. I don't know why they keep forget. on doing it. Mm-hmm. But okay.
2: <laughs> cool. Uh, so, special thanks to um, Tess Patino, our social media goddess, and to Amy Young, who does our website, and also Jared Selby, who does our theme song. And uh, under normal circumstances, Joe Mahoney, our audio engineer, and also. Special thanks to Stefan Fitzpatrick yeah, this was hanging out with us today. Yeah. This was so, a lot of fun. Yeah. I really appreciate that.
0: Uh, thank you for having me. I, I, I hope you all enjoyed yourself as much as I did. I, I love having these conversations. Um, and, and as soon as Bethany reached out, I said, let's get this thing done. Yes.
1: <laughs> literally we did. In. And I had been thinking about it for a couple of weeks, admittedly, and I was like, Steph is busy. He's doing stuff with the state. So when you were immediately ready to talk to us, I so appreciated it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And anything anything else you need that I can support you all in in these efforts, please don't hesitate
1: to let me know. Absolutely. And with that, y'all, we want to hear from you, too. We love having conversations with you all about how you are navigating your faith, your Christianity, your Jesus following, whatever you want to call it, um, and navigating race and anti-racism because it's a complex thing to navigate. So we want to hear from you. Be sure to hit us up at colorcorrectionpodcast.com and drop us a line there. And with that, stay black, Little Mermaid.